Hey, Soberholics! We hope you're enjoying the show. We've gotten some great feedback from y'all, but we need more. If you go to iTunes and leave us a review, a written review, it helps others find the show. And if you do this for us by May 31st, you'll receive a free copy of Roger's ebook, Soberholic 12 Steps Later. Make sure to email soberholicpodcast at gmail.com to let us know that you left the review so that we can send you the ebook. In fact, you can pause the show right now and go do that. I give you permission. Hello and welcome to Soberholic Podcast. This show is designed to address topics that will encourage, equip, and inspire you to explore life's most difficult topics and overcome your biggest challenges. Today, your hosts, Roger and Jason, will share from their own experience how you can find hope and healing in recovery. Well, 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 welcome to another episode of Soberholic. Jason, today has been, well, let me say this whole week has been a, been a trying week for me, and I have come to find out one thing for sure, and I need to ask you your advice. Okay. <laughs> Why so uh, passive there? Because I don't know what's coming next. Well, okay, Here, here's the deal. I... I know you've got kids, although they're not teenagers, so I'm, I guess I'm not going to base this off your teenage raising ability. It's going to be more so. Or Do you have? No, she's about to turn 12. 12 so we're not yeah. in the teenage years Almost. Yet. Okay, so here it is. Maybe I'm asking you as a pastor. Okay. Because I have, I have a theory here. I believe that all teenagers are from the devil. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're not the only one who believes that. Dude, I have the best kids. I really do. I've got three kids, and they're, they're all – I'm not just saying that because they're my kids or I have to because I'm on air. Uh, I have really good kids, but my oldest is 16, and he has just been coming home with drama. I mean, all mm. kinds of drama lately. Almost so like I'm like, I don't want to even really want to talk to you no more, dude. I just, I'm done with it. I don't want to hear the drama. Girl it, stuff? It's girl stuff. It's job stuff. It's school stuff. It's life stuff. It's just drama. If he can talk about it, it's going to be drama. Almost as if he manufactures the drama. It looks like someone who's doing heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Just the chaos part. Yeah. But I'm I'm confident that he's not yeah. because there's no way he could be such a good kid and still do heroin because, you know, I've been there before. Right. But he, at least he's talking to you, though. He, he is. And, and, I, and I think I'm thankful for that because we talk a lot about recovery and the principles that we've learned in recovery. And a lot of what we talk about is has conditioned my relationships at home with my kids. They they know that this is the way we communicate. Y'all talk about everything. Like every in fact, we just got a uh, a letter from the school and I'm gonna say this wrong, but it's a, an acronym. I think it's called SAFE, where they're gonna be talking to the fifth graders and they're gonna be talking about sex and the changes that are fixing to happen in their body and oh, all yeah. this. And we got to talking to some other parents and they were like, you know, but it kinda of gives us an out here. We we don't have to have that conversation. And me and my wife's like, I don't want an out. We we talk. This is an open conversation yeah. at our house. Oh, yeah. And I'm thankful for that stuff. You know, I mean, if you could sit down and have those talks with your kids, I feel like I've done something. And maybe they don't turn out the way I did in those years. Right. Well, I mean, when you talk about stuff and we've, you know, we've talked about a lot of stuff with my daughter, too, and tried to be open 
when you keep the lines of communication ongoing like that and you're always talking about serious things, you you find out where you are and you can assess the, the, the relationship really easily. When you're able to do that, you know, you can you can take inventory of your relationship. Hey, we're going to be talking about that today. You see what I did there? <laughs> that was good. That was real good. And so what we're going to talk about uh, is the last three steps of what we've been talking about for almost a month now. I think it's been four weeks. It's a fourth segment here. And they call these the maintenance steps uh, for good reason there. This is one of the things that we do to kind of maintain the recovery, uh, maintain a, a growing relationship with others. In step 10, it says we continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. The scripture that goes with that is 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Watch yourself. <laughs> I always hear, what's his name? Um, the, the rapper that says that? That's when I was doing dope in those days. Since then, I don't think I listen to rap anymore. I think it's a, it's a rap song. It's like, watch yourself. I know the song you're talking about. Yeah. Whenever I hear Step 10 and the biblical comparison read, like NCR, like tomorrow night. So you just think, watch yourself. I just think, in my mind, will be like, watch yourself. Be careful that you don't fall. Uh, I think you just step out of here and take this urinalysis test for me. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're I'm still drinking sober. really strong coffee right now. <laughs> and it's working. So let's talk about it. What does it look like to take a personal inventory? So this is my favorite step. As you asked me a few episodes back, what your favorite step is. And to me, taking a personal inventory is when you take an honest look at yourself. Key word being honest. And I've had struggles with being honest with myself in the past. As, as I've shared before, I used to journal a lot. And I would lie in my journals. <laughs> like, I don't know who I was lying to. Just in like, case somebody opened it's it. It's <laughs> like, I was thinking, you know, 2,000 years from now, like when they dig this up and they read it, they'll think better about me. I mean, I don't know what was going on in my mind other than a lot of drugs and stuff. But I used to lie in my journals and I don't know why I did it, but I did. And, you know, so I struggled that with that in the past. But now... You know, I don't lie in my journals, um, you know, and I try to take an honest look and and be constantly assessing where I am in my relationship with other people and my relationship with God and my relationship with myself. You know, how I feel about myself. Am I, am I treating my, myself with respect? Now, I do think you can go too far with the whole self-care thing. You've, you've heard of that word lately? That's a big Self-care? Self-care thing now. I don't know that I've really heard it that way. It's like way. a trending type phrase now. You're not talking about like self-help? Is it the same thing? No, it's like it's like taking care of yourself. I think I think there's a there's a balance there where you can, you know, take care of yourself too much and, you know, make it all about you, which is what you know, is wrong with a lot of things in society nowadays is we make it all about us. But anyway, I digress. Chasing <laughs> rabbits there. I think mainly, it, it, you know, step 10 helps me to know where I stand with with my relationship with God and others. There's another part of this, and this is what I have found when I've taken this inventory, 
as a, and a lot of times it happens for me in the evenings or as the um the the step says it says that we when we when we were wrong that we promptly admitted it i wrote this even in my book that i wrote uh because it, it hits so close to home is I can usually make amends to someone now that I've, I've worked through these steps and I've seen the benefit of, of making amends to other people. I've seen how much better that I feel that I can look people in the eye because I don't have all this guilt and shame. But there's still this time when I make, when I do something wrong and, and we say that we've got to promptly admit it. There's one, one particular group of people that it's still very hard for me to do this to, and it's my family. Mainly my children, because I don't know about you, but there's been times that it's not always my kids causing the drama, like I was saying earlier. It's sometimes me still causing the drama or that I've said something or I've reacted to something that they said in a, in a wrong way. And then like I'll send them to their room and then I process that and go, wow, I was way out of line there. I shouldn't have said that. I brought something home from you know work i brought something home with another argument i was having i took it out on them and so then i've got to walk upstairs and i've got to walk down what i call the hall of shame (laughs) because that's where all the kids rooms are and really with my head tucked down between my legs going i don't really want to do this but i know that i have to do this to be i don't know an example for my kids and i've got to do this to maintain my recovery and I walk in there, and I might bend down and get down on my knees so I'll be at their level, especially with my little ones. And, yeah. and I tell them, you know, Daddy's sorry for what he said, and I shouldn't have said those things, and and this is why um, I should not have said those things. And usually they don't even care, um, or they don't respond in the way like I told you or that type of stuff like I, yeah. I would do. Right, yeah. But it was just like, wow, you know, I th- for me, it's cool that the kids can see vulnerability in me. Right. And that's an important thing that they're learning, too. I know in my marriage, uh, one thing that I think um, Dakota and I are good about doing is apologizing to each other when, you know, when I mess up and I know I'm wrong. Like, usually not a lot of time passes before I'm like, I'm sorry, you know. And the same for her. Like, I, I don't know of many instances where it's gone more than a day where one of if one of us was wrong we 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 are pretty quick because we just can't stand there to be anything going on between us it just you know it it takes up a lot of energy in you know in in my soul and in my brain to have a relationship especially the most important one to me out of order like that i don't know how i used to live all those years in active addiction where every relationship was just totally out of whack, upside down, and I didn't even care. I mean, it, I still had the guilt from it, but I just lived like that. I don't. Does that make any sense to you? Oh, I, I'm sitting here, sitting there thinking of so many relationships that I was doing the same thing. Because for me, it was kind of like the snowball effect to where I would keep a little bit of a resentment out over here and I wouldn't ever go make amends or I wouldn't accept an amends or anything like that. And that would kind of roll into a little bit bigger ball until eventually I just walked around angry all the time where I was just like a tornado tearing up everything I went went into its path. Yeah. And I think for me, the 10th step is a way to 
to not let any of that build up, is to not let that runaway snowball happen. It's a way to, as you're living every day, to keep your side of the street cleared out and to keep your relationships with other people and with God, you know, in, 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 a, in a right um, and, and healthy place. Well, I think this is the reason it's so important to hear the Scripture again, where it says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If you've worked the steps completely, not listened to us say them on a podcast, but actually worked through the steps, your life has gotten much better by the time you've gotten to step 10. And it's easy to fall into the trap that, well, things are going a lot better. I'm, I'm better than I used to be. And oh man, that's a terrible trap. Ain't it though? Yeah. And so you you live in this idea, this illusion that things are just okay, and oh, I don't need to do this anymore. That's the reason a personal inventory is so so important, and it's also personal. I mean, I hope I hope we hear this. It's personal. It's not about me taking your inventory because I can't inventory your problems right now. You know what's going in. You you know what's in your mind. You know the thoughts, the actions that maybe you're not even sharing with nobody right now. So if you're starting to stumble there, you know what's going on in your head, and often a relapse of whatever that may look like is happening way before it happens. And by doing a personal inventory, maybe minute by minute, you know, throughout the day and the evenings, however you do yours, is it's a great way to see and take a maybe a thermometer of what your recovery looks like. Yeah, and I, I used this step actually this morning. I was doing uh, some journaling. I was reflecting about last week, and there was something that was just nagging at me all last week, and I couldn't really figure it out what was bothering me until I put the pen to paper this morning. And once I started writing, I was like, yep, that's what it is. I mean, it didn't take five minutes of me writing to figure out what was bothering me last week. So this this is one, I mean, I don't always do a, a written 10th step, but when something's bothering me like that, uh, I do. And I, you know, wrote a fear list out. And when I wrote the fear list out, that's when I figured out what it was. It was just, it just jumped out at me. And so these talk, are... Talk to us, a fear list. Um, what is that? Can we really explain that on, on air? Yeah, so a fear list is when you you write out, you know, what your fears are. And when you do that, you can... Well, and, and definitely, sometimes even by yourself, you can see what's what's a rational fear and what's called an irrational fear. And if you can't see it when you write it out by yourself, I mean, you have a sponsor, hopefully, who can look at them, too, and say, okay, this is a totally irrational rational fear. You know, death by bumblebees is not rational fear, um, <laughs> you know, but... You know, a love the death of a lo- of a close loved one. That's a rational fear because that could happen. Um, but you, when you when you get your fears out on paper, it helps you to kind of put them into perspective. So some fears could be like a self self preservation or self protection or self fulfilling prophecies. Like if hmm. you fear something so much. Like you're you're so obsessed with thinking about it, you you end up, you know, kind of following through with it, you know. But um, you know, one of my biggest fears for the first couple of years of my sobriety was fear of relapse, you know. And I mean, it would it would keep me awake sometimes at night because I'd be like, I, I've been sober for two years before, 
why is this time different? You know, even though it was definitely different, my mom would just, you know, kind of play tricks on me and I would get lost in thinking about that. And, you know, but my sponsor was like, you can't, you can't get caught up in that. That's not really, it is a rational fear, but you can't let it run away from you. You gotta, you gotta let it be a healthy fear to motivate you to keep working on your recovery. I know another way that kind of translates to me without taking the, the addiction part out of it, but there's been goals I've tried to achieve in my life, and I've been so fixed and focused on those goals. I would dream about failing at those goals, and it would almost consume me. I mean, even my dreams were being consumed by this worry that I had about trying to achieve this thing in my life. And that brings us to step 11. We sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, praying only knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And Colossians 3.16 says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Yeah, step 11, to me, uh, is, is the least talked about, the least written about in all the different you know, 12-step literature that I've come across. And um, But to me, it's just having a direct connection with Jesus Christ and with God. And through, you know, it says through prayer and meditation. And for me, I use prayer in the worst way possible. It's always like the last thing in my tool belt that I pull out. Like a flare prayer. Yeah. I mean... Like I'll, I'll I'll have some type of personal crisis, you know, whether it's external or internal. Most time it's internal, and I'll wrestle around with it, and I'll I'll even you know seek the scriptures about it, or I'll you know read a book about it, or I'll you know talk to you about it, or I'll talk to other people about it, and then the last thing I think about to do is pray about it. When that should be the very first thing I do. And then I'll pray about it. And then God will give me peace about it. And then I'll be like, how, how that worked. I'll be surprised when it actually works. I hope our listeners hear what you just said. Because I, I know for a fact you're a licensed ordained minister. And you're saying one of the hardest things you, you have is to go to prayer first. And I, and I'll say that to pick on you, because um, you know me just the same, is that it's okay to know that you struggle with that as, as well. Sometimes we think that all Christians just automatically go to they go in their prayer closet and they get all this stuff done, and and that's I think just our natural bend as humans, that just our our flesh steers us away from praying. Yeah, I always try to I always try to fix it myself first. And I think we all ha- have some some measure of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I have gotten to the point to where I can catch myself faster now to where I can be like, you know, I can recognize sooner that, hey, I need to pray about this because nothing else is going to work. I can keep on toiling away trying to fix it, but it's not going to work. I have to seek God about this. And, 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 you know, that's the only way I can get relief sometimes is through prayer. So meditation, what do you... You got anything on meditation? Um, <laughs> no, no. Um. <laughs> I don't know if it was that kind. 
that's what I always think of. I think yeah. of maybe like my legs crossed and my fingers hold, holding them up, you know, the hum, and, <laughs> which I, I, I've done before. But yeah, uh, that is not really what I hear of meditation. The best thing I've ever heard is prayer is talking to God. Meditation is listening from God. And it almost goes into another thing that I heard from a sponsee of mine. So if like if you ever consider yourself a sponsee is I have nothing to offer, this this came from a sponsee of mine. So he only had a really a couple of days sober now that I now that I look back on it. But he said that he asked me, do you know what the most important time of prayer is? And I, I was like, This is a loaded question. I said, I don't know what. Mm-hmm. He said the five minutes after Amen. And what he was trying to tell me was that, you know, how many times do you send your your you know, flare prayer up of, Lord, get me out of this yeah. or help me with this, and you get up and go about your day? It was more so, when do you pray and do you sit there long enough to hear God talk back to you? That's what I believe meditation is for me today, is sitting there waiting to hear from God. And, and, and sometimes it's not like immediately after a prayer. It's just being aware of of God speaking to me because he does. I don't get an audible voice. Um, some people may. I I didn't even get that on LSD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it's never what, happened to me. Either. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't know. For me, it's just that inner knowing. In fact, when my wife and I, we've had big things happen in our life, just like any other family. And we... What we pray for now is peace. That's And when we get peace in a situation, that's when I know I've heard from God. Because no one else can give me the peace that I'm talking about. It's not like I'm okay with it. It's like I'm at peace with the decision that we're making. That's kind of a, a way of maybe saying meditation. is So it's more, you know, we pray on these things daily. And then when we finally get that knowing inside of us, that's when we're hearing from God. Yeah, and I, I mean... Prayer and meditation, you know, prayer is one of the spiritual disciplines, uh, like Bible reading, scripture memory, fasting, those type things that we do to have a relationship with God. And they're just that. They're they're spiritual disciplines. Like, it takes work to get better at them. And meditation is the one that I'm still not good at, because whenever I'm praying— and I stop praying, and I stop talking to God, and I try to listen to God, my mind just goes, like, to 50 billion places, and I'm, like, the internet browser with, like, 500,000 tabs open, you know, (laughs) and, like, (laughs) I just, it's so hard for my mind to concentrate on trying to listen to God. So what I do for meditation is I do either... Scripture memory, where I have a short passage and I'll recite it to myself over and over again, because it keeps my mind focused on something, and I can he- I can sometimes hear God speak to me th- either through that passage or it could be some. It's happened where He's spoken to me about something that wasn't related to that passage. What do you memorize in like a whole book of the Bible? Last time I was in here talking to you, yeah, I've 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 done books of the Bible before and. And it was really for that reason, so I could, you know, memorize scripture. That's good too, but it was it was so I could have time where, because once you have something really memorized, you don't really have to think really hard to recall it. 
Like once you have it down pat. And so I would be reciting it to myself and then there's another whole part of my mind that's still kind of not being used. And so it really helped me, you know, glean some things and the Holy Spirit speak to me about the scripture and sometimes, you know, not related to the scripture. And then I, I use guided prayers sometimes and I, I can I can kind of hear God's voice through some guided prayers like the St. Francis prayer. Um, which is an incredible one, and just I'll just say it over and over to myself. Sometimes I'll write it, I'll write it out, you know, several times. So I think that's one reason in recovery we use a lot of those prayers: the Lord's Prayer, the Serenity Prayer. Those prayers we use to kind of to guide us through those. It's almost a way of reminding us. Yeah, and it just because I just get so off track so easy, my brain just goes ADD on me if I just sit there for five minutes. You know, well, here's the cool thing that I I just heard you say that maybe nobody else heard. So let me tell you, let, give you my two cents of what I just heard, is that you didn't just say, "Well, I get so distracted and I can't do this," because I, I hear a lot of people say that well, I can't do this because, and this is my reason I I can't do it. Rather, you figured out a way to figure out how to meditate on your own. Yeah, and so you didn't just stop at saying I can't because of this. You figure out a way that it worked for you. And there's so much. that That's one area or, that I want to explore more and grow in. You know, there's there's got to be other ways that I don't know about, you know, as far as being able to meditate on Scripture or meditate on, on the attributes of God that, you know, would be helpful. It's just I, I need to, you know, dive into those. Well, our prayer and our meditation is for one reason. It's to improve our conscious contact um, with God. Now, I think that that is for a couple of reasons, but the main reason for me, and, and you can speak to it differently if you see it differently, but it's to remind me that I'm not God. That's uh, something I battle with, and I, I would never just walk into here and just say, you know, Chase, I'm really feeling like God today. You know, bow down before <laughs> me. That's not what I walk around doing. But I do, for somehow in the back of my mind, think that I can handle things better or I forget what he has brought me through because by the time we get to this step, a lot of things has happened in your life. And it's almost like, yeah, I've got it now. We're, I, I'm back above water. We're cool. And I, I, I don't believe God wants me to drift back down that road again by seeking him, by the things, those disciplines you just mentioned, through prayer and meditation, those are ways that I can stay fully aware of his presence. If I am looking for his will for me and the power to carry that out, there's no better place for me to look than to Scripture. I mean, that is, is, his, is his word. I mean, where else can I find a, a playbook for life than to read it? But like you, with me as prayer or my Bible reading, I find myself even today doing this. I have not picked my Bible up, but I've picked up two different self-help books and been reading those. <laughs> and so in my own way, I'm looking for myself to try to fix myself. That was not in my intentions when I did that. Right. But I look at even as we're talking about this, it's a, it's, and I know some people may just stay in their Bible. I know all of our listeners aren't that way. But for me, that's a real challenge to stay in my Bible. 
you know, to really look for God's will for me. Because I don't know what God's will is. I know that I'm made here to to bring him glory and, and to give him honor in all that I do. But how, how the specifics of that, I don't have the answer for that. Right. And just because I, f- I heard from God yesterday doesn't mean I, I, I can I can borrow that from yesterday. I can't borrow my relationship with Christ, you know, from last year. You know, this is something which is is which is in the the Lord's prayer, our daily bread. You know, we need this every day. We need that conscious contact with the Lord every single day fresh. One of the things you mentioned earlier through those disciplines was fasting. I don't ever hear fasting inside of a recovery group. <laughs> In fact, I'm, I don't think I've ever, I've never, I never have. It just, it's never came up. And we, we did a fast one time. I may have talked about it here on, on the show, but my wife and I, we've never done one before. Didn't really understand a fast. And there were times people tried to push us to a fast through a church. And um, I've got my own beliefs on that. But there was a, a time that we were convicted enough to do a fast. And we did that um, together. And it was actually a food fast. And as we were doing that food fast, I, I, I was griping the whole time because I was starving. <laughs> <laughs> but we forced ourselves to get into the scripture and I griped the whole time because I was starving. And, and it was not really the best case scenario um, to say that I had this epiphany. I, I, I didn't, but I did get this is that I kept saying it was hard for me to study. I didn't have time to go to the Bible and read it. And my Bible, it's the version Bible app, mm-hmm. was right next to my Facebook app. Uh, and I yeah. always had time to hit the Facebook um, app. And it was very convicting for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's we we make time for what you what we really want to do is the bottom line. And if I want to find his will, then I've got to look for his will, not someone else's will. And it, you know, and with things like that, I've I've found that if I'm not wanting, you know, to to be in His Word and to have a relationship with Him, then I can actually pray for that. I can pray, God, please give me the hunger to want to be in Your Word and want to seek You. And whenever I've prayed that, I've all He's always given me a desire and a, and a renewed spirit to seek after Him. It's even in, uh, I think it's in Mark and maybe one of the other Gospels too, but where um, I think it was the man, I don't know which story it was, but the guy even says, Lord, help my unbelief. Oh, yeah. You know, you mm-hmm. know, um, so it's kind of the same deal. Lord, I, I'm struggling here. I, I want to pray, but just to help me, oh, help yeah. me pray, you know. I don't even do that though. I mean, yeah. I mean, there, there's times I have, and I don't want to just beat myself up because that's not what I'm doing. I'm much better at it than I was. I just say that because I know there's plenty of our listeners that think that because you say you're a Christian, you've got to have it all spelled out. Yeah. And that you're doing, you're just in prayer every day, and you know you're listening to praise and worship on the radio the whole time. When you when you step out of that onto your next um, cloud or rainbow, you know you're just opening up God's word, and everything's just hunky dory, and it's just not. Yeah. And that's not the life I've experienced as a Christian. There's ups and downs, even through my those disciplines, those study times, and there's times I'm on fire for God. And there's times I'm just kind of yeah, lukewarm. That's oh, yeah. the best I've got. And the 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 hope in that is, you if you've been away from the Lord and you your relationship 
has been distant from the Lord for maybe months or maybe years, you can come right back to him. You can. His arms are open. You can you can have that relationship right now with him again. Uh, you know, it, I think it's one of the tactics of the enemy that tells us, oh, you've been away from the Lord. You know, you need to fix all this other stuff. And then then you can come back to him and get back into it. But that's just not the case. He he will he will forgive us of of anything, and and will take us back. Well, there's there's this thing. I'm probably not the best illustration. I've got a buddy of mine from high school. I've known him since ninth grade, and he and I was like best friends during school. Went everywhere and did everything together. And then, of course, we got married. We kind of drifted apart. But anytime we see each other, like. It makes us want to get together to go fishing or something. So we'll spend the day or the weekend together. And in that moment, it's like we never have drifted apart. It's been years since we've seen each other, and we just automatically get together and we start talking again. The cool thing about it is that we catch up and we we begin talking and, and talking about all the stories, how his kids are doing, how his wife's doing, how mine are doing. And I kind of think the same thing goes with our relationship with God. I can walk... If I choose to walk away, because he don't ever leave me, right. I, I'll walk away from that relationship. I can go back, and it's not like he he's left me and, and has done away with me. He's there to to have that conversation. But but my way of talking to him is through my prayer. It's through that meditation, hearing back from him. It's through those disciplines of reading his word to where I get to know him again, um, or maybe better would be the better way right. of saying that. And that's really up to me. If I want to know what happened with my best friend from high school, I've got to ask him. And if I want to know what's going on with God and what his will is for me, I've got to ask him. Right. And I think that's what prayer and meditation are really all about. Prayer is not, God, please give me this. You know, prayer really is a vehicle for us to know God and to know his will. I would even encourage people when they begin a prayer to actually thank God for something. Yeah. That's what I, I've, I've had to make myself do because I was like you. Oftentimes I would only go to God when there was a problem. Asking for stuff. And asking for him to fix something. Now my prayers almost automatically go to thanking him for something. One, it redirects my thoughts on what he's done for me rather than what he hasn't done for me because I, I'm that type of guy. I, I always focus on the bad rather than the good. Mm. And... And through even by the, usually by the time I end my prayer, I can already remember what God's done for me in the past. Mm. Yeah, I think that uh, that's a uh, some good thoughts on uh, step eleven. Step twelve, which is the last step of the twelve steps, having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and practice these principles in all our affairs. That's a mouthful right there. What message are we talking about? Well, I mean, you could go you could go several ways on that. The the scripture for it is brothers, if someone has called it a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently, but watch yourself. Watch yourself. <laughs> watch yourself. <laughs> or you may also be tempted. <laughs> I mean, that's been going on for like 2 years now that whole watch yourself thing. <laughs> but anyway, so to carry this message Having had a spiritual experience as a result of these steps, we carried this message. Yeah, so what is that message? If you look at it in just the sense of recovery, you know, it's carrying these 12 steps to someone else. 
But I believe it's more than that as us for Christians. I think that it's the it's the gospel that we yes. get to carry out. And because my faith is in more than a doorknob, I believe that there's hope outside of this room or on this airway or anything else that Christ is coming back. And so I get to share the hope that he has for not just me, but for everybody. Now, I do that and you do that in a unique way. Even this podcast is a way for us to carry this message of hope. That's the reason we dedicated four episodes to what we're doing right here. Or one of the reasons is we want people to see that there is, is hope inside the darkness that they may be in today. Right. And, you know, I, I think for most of the time when people talk about the 12 steps, most of the time they're talking about the message is that there is recovery, that there is hope in these 12 steps, and that you can, you know, stay sober or abstinent from whatever your hurt habit or hang up is. But I'm with you. I think it stands for so much more than that, that it is that there is hope and healing in Jesus Christ from any hurt habit or hang up, or just from, you know, the despair that you have from just living life. You know, life is life is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. That sounds really... Say that again. <laughs> life is the hardest thing I've ever done. In life. In life, yeah. <laughs> I was at a funeral um, earlier today, and it was... I don't normally say this phrase together, but it was an amazing funeral. The funeral... The, the the lady who was who had passed away at a, at an older age and lived a full life the funeral was not about her it was about the saving and and the healing hope that we have in Jesus Christ as our savior because he died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day and is coming back and that one day we will be with him and and resurrected with him in heaven and it was so refreshing to you see a lot of funerals that are so about the person that that passed away and about what they accomplished in life and what they achieved in life and how good of a person they were but this was a it, it the whole the whole thing was just about the hope in Jesus Christ that we have and it really touched touched me you know that i was like that's what i want at my funeral i don't want it to be about me and that's the, the twelfth step, you know, is it's not about you. You know, it's about helping the next person. It's a way of getting out of yourself. It's a way of getting out of yourself. And, you know, I, we were talking earlier a little bit about helping others before. Sometimes I think we should record what we're talking about before we start the show because <laughs> it's better than the actual show. <laughs> but we were, I was talking about how I'm so selfish, you know, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing on my mind is me. And the same thing when I go to bed. I'm just naturally selfish person, as a lot of people are, I'm sure. And the best way I get out of that is by helping somebody. Well, that's kind of what I, I see a lot with the 12 steps, that we we kind of uh, we use the 12 step. Um, when I talk to sponsors, maybe it's the best way to say this. I will tell them, you know, to go out and help someone. Sometimes that is simply talking about the 12 steps. Sometimes it's talking about, you know, what what Christ has done in their life. What better way to share the gospel with someone than with your testimony? I've done that so many times. But there's also uh, just a simple thing of just, you know, being part of a work day at church. 
that that is yeah. a twelfth step. That's doing. In fact, um, James, uh, you know, I'm horrible. I, I, like I, I misquote every scripture I ever do. But is it faith without works yeah, is dead? Listen, James. Yeah. And so we see that in, in kind of in this perspective of that we don't work for our salvation, but because we are Christians, because He's changed us, the spiritual experience it talks about then we want to do things different. We want to have a servant's heart just as we saw Jesus came and washed the disciples' feet. We want to give back now. It's even you of waking up selfish, going to bed selfish, there's still in you a desire to want to help people now. I know that because I'm your sponsor. Yeah, and for me, I remember the first sponsor I had in AA, I remember him meeting with me and, you know, spending like three hours of a Saturday morning talking to me about recovery stuff. And I remember just looking at him going, what's the deal? Like, I don't understand what you up to, like why you want to help. I mean, I just, I just, it just didn't compute in my mind selflessly thinking about somebody else and helping somebody else just to help them. That, that was a foreign concept to me for a long time. But now whenever I help somebody, My favorite thing to do is to help somebody and then not tell anybody about it, even my wife, because when I don't tell anybody about it, it stays all it stays more pure. Does that even make sense? I completely where it is like I just helped the person. Mm. I didn't help them. And then I got to go tell somebody about it. There was no motive. There was no motive. I just helped them. And then I didn't go brag about myself because I, I like doing that. I like helping people and then going and telling somebody, hey, I Look what way. I did. Yeah. It's, it's just nat- it's a natural thing. And then, you know, also, um, you know, you're you're making it where you're – I don't remember. I, I'm terrible. We're both terrible at remembering what scripture goes where. <laughs> But, uh, you know, where it says, this is your job. Y'all figure this out. (laughs) We'll get you close. (laughs) But there's a scripture where it talk where I think where Jesus is talking about the uh, Pharisees that prayed elegant prayers out loud before men and that, that, that they were receiving their treasure here on earth, you know, and then that they were receiving their reward. But when you pray in secret in the closet and, you know, in private, that your reward is in heaven. And so, you know, that's kind of the way I see helping people. Now, there's sometimes you, you're, you know, that it's good to tell, you know, that you help somebody as a testimony or whatever, or, um, you know, telling your wife where you was for three hours when you were helping somebody on the side of the road. You probably need to tell her where you were. Oh, you yeah, know, especially so. if you wasn't answering your phone. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it's, I think helping others is the best way to remedy the selfishness that so many of us struggle with. Here's one of the cool things I've, I've always, well, since sobriety I've done in my life, and I've used it in different aspects of my life, not just recovery. And I, I'll kind of put up systems and ways to test things to see if they work. One of the things that I was told early on was to begin to help people, and it would get me out of myself. We stated that. And for 15 years now, I've, I've helped others in one way or another. This is what I've come to to realize here. It's not like this is just theory. This is practical work. I know that this works, and I can say this 100% to be true. I have never helped someone, and in, in, in while I was helping them, thinking of myself. I can't think of one time that's ever 
been that way or felt worse after you helped them yes i mean it's it's always helped now there's been times i have not wanted to be there and maybe i could you could possibly translate that to me thinking to myself but the, i mean i can't say i've just like been with a sponsee and wanted to be there for eight hours to listen to a four step or a fifth step you know there's those times that i'm like yeah i really got other things to do but when i left there it was worth every every you know every minute of it and i think that is the perfect picture about working all 12 steps when you work all the steps there may be you know times when you when you're in you know step four or five or you know when you're looking taking a hard honest look at yourself and you don't like what you see there may be times along the journey of the 12 steps you know where you you don't really want to be doing it but when you get to the end of it you look back and you go man i grew so much during that and you know you see the reward of of putting in the work of doing the 12 steps at that point it's a great reason not to give up that's the reason we keep doing 10 11 12 so that we just don't that god didn't just stretch us and we stop there's always more room to be stretched Oh yeah, in, in different areas, and, then, and that's the reason we keep doing this. This is the reason for years we we've continued to do this because I believe that the Lord shows us different areas of our life to work on at different points in our life. You know, it's just uh, I think we've said this before, but I couldn't see how screwed up I was all at one time. I needed in chunks. Oh yeah, that's definitely me. <laughs> But then when we get to this point, I think it's important just to look at the scripture that we, we that you read. And it said, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. There's a lot of good advice right there, yeah. like tons of good advice right there. One is we know that people are going to fall there. I mean, we just that, that tells me without a shadow of a doubt, maybe you're on a diet, you fall off the diet. I've been doing that a lot lately, dude. I have <laughs> tried my best to stay on one, and it's just not working for me right now. Um Two, I mean, maybe you, you, you're doing dope, but you're going to relapse. And so I think that it's a reminder for me to, to, to give grace in that situation and to say, okay, um, don't not to say, well, you know, I told you so and told you all these things that I want to help them get back and restore them the best I can. There's, there's a second thing that I see there, and it's simply that I better not go in there with the ego and this arrogant attitude that – I've got this thing beat, and let me show you how to stay sober. Let me help you. Let because me reach down from my, yeah. my pedestal to pick you yeah. up. Because that, I hope that our listeners never hear that out of us, because that's no. never my intentions. Because I could go out and use dope tonight. Yeah. If I forget everything I'm telling you. It's and not likely. That, but. I hope that's not. <laughs> there's not been an obsession today. Right. But the truth is, if I'm not using these 12 steps in my life, just like I'm telling them they should use it in their life, then I will fall. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt about it. Yes. And so it keeps my perspective right in this whole 12-step thing that I better stay humble and realize whose I am. Because without Jesus and all this, it doesn't work for me. Right, and I, I'm with you as far as you know. I is it possible for me to relapse? Absolutely. Have I relapsed before? Yes, I have. So, you know, remembering that 
you know, this is possible. It, I, I'm possible. I'm capable of of any kind of sin, and I, any any kind of thing like that. The thing that I think is the most horrible thing in the world. I'm I'm capable of that as a human being, and I think it's it's important for for all of us to remember that that we we are capable of those things, and to to be on guard and using the tools that you learn when you're working the twelve steps. Well, that's the reason it says at the end of it. Right. And practice these principles in all of our affairs. Yeah. So we don't fall. Because right. that's just the natural thing is we just fall. We always fall. And the 12 steps teaches you in practical ways how to get back up and to get back on the path. Well, for I just want to say this because especially since I've done Celebrate Recovery, I've come to know this more so than ever because with drugs and alcohol, that's like always kind of my, that was my light bulb moment in life. I saw God so clear through that. I saw what Christ has brought me out of. And that was my beginning into this whole recovery road, if you will. But since I've been here, he's continued to hone and stretch me in different areas of my life. And I've seen this in others. Just let's give you a picture of the diet that I just mentioned to you. Um, this is something I'm trying to, to do. For me, the diet is not life or death for me. For some people here, it may be. Yeah. But for me, it's not a life or death issue. And so if I fall, and as I have, then I have the opportunity to get back up maybe easier I don't want to make anything lie like and judge this different. I'm trying to be cautious with my words here, but maybe it's easier for me to get back up from that because I know there's a second opportunity for that. With drugs and alcohol, I, I I've come to believe I don't know that there is a second opportunity right. if I go use. So my point is this: is if if your issue is not drugs or alcohol, and maybe you're struggling with the codependency we talk about or the food issues that we talk about or the guilt, the shame, whatever it may look like, your level of relapse may be much higher than someone doing drugs and alcohol. I don't think it's mandatory, but you may see yourself relapsing more or falling off the wagon when you're trying to stay on a diet or not to be have codependent boundaries. You may let somebody come across that boundary more times than someone may relapse off heroin. And that's okay, is what I'm trying to say. Don't think that, oh, well, this guy has not relapsed in 15 years on drinking alcohol, and I've relapsed on this codependent behavior so many times, I must be doing it wrong. Now, I think things look different. Recoveries look different. Yeah. yeah, it definitely is different with the different issues. That's that's for sure. And so regardless of what it is, I think that we continue to work these steps and we apply them into our lives, and life will get better. Uh, I am a firm believer in that because I've lived it and I continue to live it. There's ups, there's downs, but they will continue to get better if you work, if you work it. It works if you work it. That's it. And if you want to know more about the 12 steps and where you can get plugged into a 12-step program like Celebrate Recovery, you can email us at soberholicpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Well, that's it. Thank y'all guys for another episode. I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics. Soberholics.